Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. People want to own value in the new normal. We're all waiting for that vaccine to come about, but what do we look at if we want upside from now? So we're not wanting to buy into ephemeral themes, of course, but people want to ride on changing habits. We're less likely to want to go out, even though the economy is inching towards reopening. We're all looking forward to Friday, of course, uh, 19th of June, and uh, stepping into phase two. But will date night ever be the same, for example? Air travel, is that likely to be less high on your agenda given the you know quarantine periods when coming back and you putting your safety in the hands of you know the providers of cleaning services at hotels for example cruise stocks airlines where do they sit on your agenda well i'm going to check in on you know where we should be looking at when it comes to value in the new normal with arun pai chief strategy officer at flow how are you arun i'm very good michelle how are you i am doing well what is the first thing you're going to do on friday (laughs) <laughs> I'm hoping to go to the gym in the morning, to be honest, but uh, let's see. <laughs> Mr. Healthy. All right. So for people who want to align, you know, what they're buying with what they see as new habits likely to take off with the new normal, uh, what are you observing? Where is their upside? Sure. So obviously, like what, what the, you can see by the price action in the market last couple of days, last couple of weeks, last couple of months, a number of technology companies have done exceedingly well, especially the ones that pertain to, that enable people to work from home in a more efficient manner. So, you know, obviously stocks like Zoom, Google, uh, Amazon, because of the fact of like cloud uh, computing, uh, they've done phenomenally well. From the perspective of what's gonna be in the future, I mean, obviously the future is extremely murky, but just because now obviously Singapore announced some really good news that they're going to be going into phase two. We've already kind of seen that be it in China or be it in the US uh, in terms of the economy opening up. But we need to be really careful about that, right? Like we can clearly see what happened in Beijing the last couple of days where uh, one person walked into a wet market, suddenly there was a very rapid spread. And I just believe uh, like half an hour ago or something, it was announced that all the flights out of Beijing are now going to be stopped. So you're going into this massive like ups and downs uh, cycle where whenever there's going to be a certain spike up in cases, again, the entire thing starts shutting down. So it becomes very difficult from the perspective of an investor on how to start valuing these companies. You need to start take the, the safest way, obviously, is what Benjamin Graham, the father of value investing, came out and said, you know, value the company however you want, but then take a very decent margin of safety against that valuation because of the uncertain uh, nature of the future. Obviously, given a time like this, the future is extremely uncertain, which means the margin of safety should be a lot larger. But the price action in the market is sadly not giving that opportunity, I feel, to investors. Now, obviously, you know, airlines have taken a massive beating in terms of uh, j- just the fact that the, because of the COVID pandemic. In terms of the share prices, you can kind of see roughly uh, at the worst time, at towards the end of May or something, I would say airlines were down like about 60, 70%. 
uh, potentially reasonably attractive to some investors depending on your risk appetite. But the speed with which share prices have rallied in the past uh, month, month and a half, has been quite remarkable. And obviously, a lot of that can be attributed to the Fed, but that's a separate topic altogether. So, is you know, everyone obviously has their own individual views of the future. Uh, the problem, though, is, is the, are the markets giving an opportunity to investors to get involved in that future at an attractive enough price? That's something to be a little bit concerned about right now, I feel, because the tech stocks, which are obviously going to be winners in the future, they are extremely richly priced. Mm. So me personally, I'm taking a little bit more of a wait and see approach, I would say. So the cyclical stocks, is they a whole interest to you? Um, yes and no, and maybe in like certain segments. I think uh, stuff like uh, the 5G space, uh, stuff like very precision manufacturing that has a certain competitive moat around it, which if uh, you can pick certain names that have more uh, locally domiciled operations with a local market, they are definitely going to be uh, winners in this segment because these logistical issues uh, that we've been facing for the past three, four months is not going to go away anytime soon. Geopolitical issues among uh, various countries, especially US and China, they're not going to go uh, away anytime soon. So to be able to capture those kind of moves, I think is what's going to set apart uh, a good investor uh, from you know, an average one. Would you say there are parts of the economy that will never go back to normal? There's a huge range of winners and losers, but there are some sectors that are just likely never to go back to normal given the um, length of time we're looking at for recovery. So my personal take, and uh, you know, this might be a, bit, a little bit more of a contrarian one, mm-hmm. is that I feel human nature being what it is, is definitely going to snap back. Mm. That will definitely apply, I would say, more so towards uh, tourism and uh, you know, the, the finer things in life. Where Sure, the next six months, one year is going to be brutal, right? No doubt about it, as has the last four months uh, that have uh, gone past. Uh, will that specific company survive? Like, a, say, a fancy restaurant or even like an individual cruise liner? Maybe, maybe not. You know, that, that it boils down to being able to truly try and value and understand the balance sheet of the company, see which one is going to be uh, able to survive. It, it's going to be a survival of the fitness, or at least it was until a lot more of a central bank involvement. But anyway, so it's going to be survival of the fitness. Uh, so I think stuff like that actually might come back relatively sooner than what we thought because human beings by nature are uh, social animals. Mm. But you compare that to stuff that might not uh, survive, or it might take a bit more, uh, a bit longer to try and recover, there I say might be more uh, along the lines of like uh, business travel and stuff. People who used to be traveling like four days a week, and I was one of them for the first two months of this year, it was really painful, right? And if you realize, and if companies have realized, individuals have realized that that can potentially be, uh, I'm not saying it's going to go away to zero, right? Not even like maybe 30, 40%, but even if you can cut down like 25% of that, and you can take that time and potentially spend it, uh, you know, in more productive ways through uh, Zoom conferences and saving time to travel, et cetera, I, I, I dare I say, I think that might be a lot more of a longer lasting effect 
And that can probably be seen uh, in terms of the top line and bottom lines of airlines specifically, because, you know, most of their money is made from business class and first class travel, uh, which is funded by or which is sponsored by corporations. Stuff like uh, cruise liners and stuff, of course, it's going to be brutal for the next three to six months, I'm sure, or maybe even slightly longer. But uh, the ones that have the most stable balance sheet might actually recover in the uh, slightly more uh, distant future. Would you say that when we look at the theme of who's going to come back, who's not going to, there's going to be a wide range of winners and losers, but ultimately people are most at risk. And we can't let capitalism sort of run roughshod over people who are going to lose jobs because uh, small and medium enterprises are going to close down. You need some intervention, some sort of policies that address household economic insecurity and inequality. You know, that that is an extremely loaded question, and I will try my best to answer that in as politically correct a manner as possible. And these are like my personal views on this. I think uh, capitalism uh, inherently has created uh, some of the best times uh, the world has ever seen uh, going back millennia, right? What it has done has, it's a phenomenal job of being able to attract capital to ensure that attractive returns uh, can be provided to that capital in exchange for the risk that has taken place. So Now, has that created uh, quite a large imbalance between the haves and the have-nots? It definitely has. Inequality has definitely increased substantially, and that is a very sad after-effect of capitalism, which needs to be rectified, right? No doubt about that. But Overall, in terms of, you know, you can take any kind of uh, health metric that you want, uh, or even for that matter, uh, on an absolute poverty line basis, has the world uh, as a whole be in a, is it in a lot better a situation right now? And by right now, I don't mean just on the back of the COVID pandemic, but, you know, just stepping back like six months ago, or potentially even a year from now. Is it in a lot better state than, say, 50 years or 100 years ago? Most definitely. And that can be largely attributed, dare I say, to capitalism. Because look at the amount, look at the conditions people are living in, in extreme socialistic kind of countries. Is there a better way forward where you can try and amalgamate the best traits of uh, both kinds of uh, uh, types of uh, societal living? Potentially, potentially not. And, you know, countries like China, for example, are striving to achieve that. Uh, what, what will be the longer term effects of that? Time will tell. So, yes, I, I think on a purely theoretical basis, is it easy to always blame the government or large corporations that, you know, we need to be doing a lot more in this day and age for people? Yes. And I think the whole concept of what uh, Milton said you know, I think in 1976 or something, wherein the sole purpose of a corporation is to generate profit, that has definitely gone out the window. And we can see that because, uh, you know, the, the consumer wallet speaks. And if the consumer wallet is a lot more attuned to uh, ensuring that the environment is uh, taken care of, uh, people are not being given, uh, people who are being given minimum wages or even sub-minimum wages in countries like Bangladesh, uh, for garment manufacturers, they are going out of business. Like people are not uh, siding with with just purely a low cost 
manufacturer, but actually going for more uh, companies that are aligned with the values. But that being said, uh, the best alternative, the best option right now the world still has, I personally feel is capitalism. And hence, it, 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 it's important to not, um, you know, to not go to the other extreme, mm-hmm. wherein we, we found these problems that have taken place, obviously, in terms of healthcare, right? That's a great example, as you were saying. Uh, people's lives are at stake. Should we be sacrificing people's lives in exchange for the economy? But what is the other alternative, right? Like, do we start giving out universal basic income to every single person under the sun, wherein uh, you don't need to work, here's a certain amount of money, where does that money come from? And now the U.S., like, for example, the U.S., which is the world's richest country in the world, we're giving out such lavish benefits to people, Mm -hmm. they are now having to start thinking about providing a bonus to people to come back into work. Because, you know, money is fine. Sure, you can keep printing money, but then uh, everyone knows what the longer-term impacts are of printing too much money, right? Yeah. There can easily be hyperinflation. What do you do then? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you, my point is you need to identify the trends and use the appropriate tools to address these trends. If you're going to see uh, labor out the window when it comes to hospitality... Uh, because it's so labor-intensive, it's not going to come back. What about workers there? Uh, what about companies that are always talking about right-sizing and shedding labor now as we speak? Or other companies that simply cannot thrive because they are so labor-intensive? What do we do there? And and, and what is the appropriate tools? Uh, I, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and speak uh, to an interview that I heard that was really interesting. Alliance's chief economic advisor, Mohammed El Aryan, saying he's not just worried about zombie companies, which is something our guest yesterday brought up as well, uh, but he's worried about zombie Zombie markets. So markets that are completely mispriced, completely distorted. What is your view? And that's exactly the fear, right? Like, uh, you, you know, if, if capital starts getting pumped in just purely for the fact that, oh, I'm just going to like chase this massive bull run. And, and we've seen a number of uh, uh, investors, uh, you know, you've heard obviously of these Robin Hood investors. I'm not sure if uh, it's been talked about on your show, this guy by the name of Dave Portnoy. <laughs> yes, talked about it yesterday. <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing, right? Like, obviously, when things are going well and people are pumping in truckloads of money into it, it, it starts, when you have the Fed put in place, people start doing a lot of stupid things. And if we're in the middle of one of the world's worst recessions, should the markets be priced something like, five or 10%, excluding even NASDAQ, right? I'm talking about like the larger markets. Should they be a price at like five or 10% lower than their all-time high when unemployment can easily, and in many places have shot up to over 20%? I would probably, dare I say, no. So it's not even just individual companies, but when you have the markets as a whole, and don't get me wrong, like the markets has been the backbone of the American economy and uh, not just the American economy, the world's economy, right? Because mm. most countries are capitalistic in nature. Mm. It's done a fantastic job of ensuring that capital goes to the right places. Then obviously too much capital goes into those places, which leads to a, a reduction in expected return. And then the markets start going towards the next thing uh, and the next trend. At which point of time, the previous industry, you come to some kind of a steady state, which is the right way forward, in, in my humble opinion, at least. But what's happening right now is that pretty much across the spectrum, uh, p- 
people who were putting money into government, people who were leaving money in cash realize that you can't do that because it's 0% returns for the foreseeable future. They start going further down the risk spectrum, start going into investment grade bonds. Investment grade bonds are giving you like 1%. Okay, let's start going into high yielding bonds. High yielding bonds, then you start going into equities. The Fed, a couple of days back, you know, after all it's done for the markets, the crazy rally you've seen in the last two months, uh, suddenly the markets correct by a little bit. And what do they do? They announce that they're going, they're going to start investing into single name corporate bonds. Mm. Look what's happening in Japan. The DOJ has been investing into equity for the longest time now. And that's something to be extremely fearful about when people, it becomes like a, 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 a reinforcing mechanism where, uh, like what Dave Pertnoy is saying, right? Like, oh, I'm way better than Warren Buffett. Forget the 40 years of making $80 billion or whatnot. I called a couple of moves correctly in the past two weeks or a month. I should deserve to be making a billions of dollars. And people see that, people hear that, and who doesn't want to be making more money, right? Like naturally, greed always sets in and people start pumping up this inflated asset bubble that we're currently living in already. And when will the end come or how will the end come? Who knows? But that being said, though, as long as the Fed and other central banks are there uh, to prop the market up, it's impossible uh, to not follow the trend. So do you think there's a real danger, given what the Fed is doing, of the economy losing its ability to allocate properly, allocate capital? I think it seems, you know, the last about a month odd, any single financial guru's interview that I have read, everyone is, you know, taking a step back and trying to reassess what are going to be the long-term impacts of this. Ray Dalio, uh, while I am not much of a macroeconomic person, I personally look, I like to look at individual companies and assess their value. I think Ray Dalio is one of the, you know, the world's greatest macroeconomic uh, pickers in terms of larger-term trends. He's written some phenomenal pieces. Uh, Howard Marks of Oak Tree Capital, he's written some phenomenal pieces. And pretty much most of them are the general theme is along the lines of questioning what are going to be these longer term impacts because it's extremely uncertain market. Don't, don't take me wrong. If the markets were like about 30 to 40% lower than where they are right now, I think you would be having a, a very different conversation. It would be along the lines of, okay, you know, things seem relatively evenly priced. Obviously there are a lot of uncertainties ahead, uh, what are the right industries to be putting more capital into? Uh, what are the ones that need to be restructured? Uh, should the government uh, be even getting involved, for that matter, in the public market space? Or should they be, as you were rightfully mentioning, the amount of unemployment that's happening in the SME space, uh, F&B, hospitality, so many jobs are lost. Should more focus being placed onto reskilling or upskilling the workers over there mm. and seeing... You know, uh, public investment is what's going to help the economy, right? So it could either be through hard investment or through soft investment. Hard investments are obviously like your infrastructure, 5G, and stuff like that. The U.S. came up with a $1 trillion package, uh, or they're evaluating it. China, which has done a lot of public uh, hard infrastructure investments in the past, they are going further down the path of uh, the higher-end uh, technology investments. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, soft investments, uh, healthcare specifically, right? Like it, this 
the one thing this pandemic has taught us that it's a complete mess. So, you know, investing more money in those segments, vis-a-vis trying to create these zombie markets, which Japan has kind of uh, found itself in that kind of a rut, Mm. I think would be the most sensible approach. But uh, what's happening right now is something that, uh, you know, even, I mean, I only had a 15-year career in investing. People who have done this like 40, 50 years, they are finding it extremely uncertain. Mm. Because on the one hand, you kind of have to side with the Fed and ride this wave Mm. because you have no other choice. Mm -hmm. Because you're being, you know, kept proxy with your investors on a monthly or quarterly report. On the other side, uh, you know, who knows what... uh, actual risks of the underlying economy are. (laughs) Thank you uh, for resisting the urge to uh, to answer each of my questions with who knows. (laughs) 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 Okay, listen, uh, markets pretty much, uh, analysts we spoke to said, you know, markets reacted and really fell just because Jerome Powell looked kind of grim and he didn't flash a smile when he was talking about uh, what the Fed is going to do recently, you know, when he talked about we're not thinking about thinking of changing interest rates. So how did markets react with news of debt? you know, dexamethasone, the low-cost, widely available drug most of us have used. It's been found to reduce death rates by a third. So it's a generic anti-inflammatory medication hailed as the first life-saving drug um, leading to coronavirus uh, testing project. The the project that was part of was called Recovery. So, you know, Dex, are you seeing it as a major breakthrough in in this day and age? How do you think investors are looking at, at Dex and reacting to it? I think from the perspective of uh, investing in generally in these markets, uh, it's a lot more about what the central bank does vis-a-vis an individual uh, drug. Mm. But that being said, will uh, you know a lot of money will be made and lost in the space of identifying which company comes out with a vaccine, mm. not necessarily a drug, but like a specific vaccine. And I'm sure money will be made there. And a lot of money will be lost in terms of all the other hopefuls who've had their share prices rise substantially. Is this something that an average investor can try and monetize? Uh, personally, uh, for me, it's in the too difficult to analyze style. So I've, I've kept that far, far away from my investing hypothesis. Uh, from the perspective of being happy that a lot of smart, a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me at least, and a lot of money is being pumped into the space to try and uh, save lives is phenomenal. And it's definitely going to be a nice tailwind for investors in general and for society in general to be able to come out of this, right? Like Bill Gates through the Melinda Gates Foundation, they came out with a number, something like $6 billion or something that they're going to invest into six or eight different manufacturing lines at the same time, Mm. knowing fully well that only one will succeed because from their perspective, obviously they've made their hundreds of billions of dollars. From their perspective, it's more important that we get a vaccine to market right now rather than spending some money, seeing whether it works or not, then spending more money and so on and so forth. You know what? We we don't have any shareholders uh, who can hold us ransom. We will go out and uh, try and manufacture as many different types of potential vaccines as possible and and see what works out. So from that perspective, I am extremely grateful to you know, the frontline healthline work, uh, the healthcare workers, these massive pharma companies, uh, all of these uh, charitable organizations like the Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, which are obviously helping out investors in the long run, no doubt. 
All right. Before I let you go, I, I need to get your views on this JD.com uh, because their shares jumped 5.7% uh, at the open on their first day of trading in Hong Kong. So e-commerce giant, what do you think of the valuations? 5.7% a jump on their $3.87 billion Hong Kong debut. What do you think? JD is one of the stocks that I really liked and I have invested in them in the U.S. Uh, for over a year and a bit now. That being said, when uh, come closer towards like May, uh, roughly about 20% lower than where the share prices have sadly ended up, I kind of gotten out of the position because I personally felt the valuations were a little bit stretched. Mm. I think personally, uh, the fact that it got uh, listed in Hong Kong, obviously a massive tailwind for the company. Uh, it kind of absolves itself of, regardless of even if the US-China uh, markets, uh, the U.S.-China uh, trade war or political tensions increase substantially further than at the current level, at least they have another avenue to try and raise capital. And I think overall, it's relatively well-shielded because it's a lot more about the local Chinese market. And I think those are the kind of uh, investments that people need to start looking out to to try and reduce the uncertainties of geopolitical risks, cross-border risks, political risks, etc., I love it where we end on actionable insight. Arun, thank you for joining us. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Enjoy the gym tomorrow. Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.